Hello everybody and welcome back to Sex and Marriage. I know, I know it's been three weeks, but, you know, Advent is very busy. Besides that, we've only got a few more of these uploads in this series before we take a nice big break from it for other things we're going to be working on here at the Very Lutheran Project. I know, I know, people love the content. We're going to keep the content going, but we're going to be mixing it up pretty soon. But with that said, today we are going to be talking about game. Now, what is game and why am I bringing it up after so many uploads in the Sex and Marriage series? Well, mostly because it's a great thing to have for a man in his toolbox in marriage. Game is, in a word, the art of seduction typically practiced by males to seduce females. It's a good thing for your marriage. If you do not know how to attract your wife, why do you expect sex from her? Is it because she has to? Well, okay, if you have sex with your wife out of a sense of duty, and she just lies back and thinks of England, then your sex life is probably going to suck. And she's probably not going to be all that enthusiastic about it. You see, the thing about sex in marriage, everybody wants it more. Not many people are willing to do things to make sure that more of it happens. Especially when it comes to men. For women... All you really got to do is look good and not wear much clothing when you want it. It's not that hard. Game for women is not rocket science. <laughs> Men are hardwired to be visual. Men are hardwired to hear, Hey, sweetheart, I'm going to take a bath. Do you want to come with me? And instantly every dude is like, Schwing, come on, let's go. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Easy. But when it comes to men seducing women, the vast majority of us were trained wrong as a joke by society, at least in the last few generations. We've been taught a whole lot of really dumb ideas about bedding women, especially our wives, to the detriment of husbands and wives everywhere. Now this is where we're going to take aim at the church. What do modern complementarians teach men about getting some? Going to the sack, going to the bedroom with their wives. Well, they say, don't demand it. Don't demand it. Don't say we are going to have sex now. That's a monstrous thing to do. And that's marital rape. If you say something like that, that's just horrible. Okay, so you ask them, well, what do I do? I want to be uh, having sex with my wife more often. St. Paul tells me that uh, we should be doing it frequently. And, of course, the complementarians respond with, Huh, you shouldn't be expecting it at all. It, look, the foundation of marriage is a lot more than just the marital act, okay? It's a lot more than that. And you really shouldn't be treating your bedroom that way. You know, your wife has a precious heart. That's closer to God than yours. So, listen. You don't want to make it that big of a deal. So you tell them, fine. 
It's not the, the basis of my marriage or whatever. But we haven't been doing it. And look, I'm getting temptations. I'm supposed to be betting my wife as opposed to going to pornography for release or, God forbid, strange flesh. So we've been having some issues in the bedroom. How do we end up having more sex? And the complementarians, after a while of thinking about this, they say something like, How dare you? Think about things with your pee-pee like that. I bet you're already watching porn, aren't you? You know, you men are all the same. We men are. You know, we're just pigs. And you gotta stop thinking about sexual things. Because if you keep thinking about that, then you're just being fleshly. And with that, by the way, we have our first false teaching from our complementarian friends. That if a man desires sex, that that is morally icky or wrong. Oh, they will never say that that is immediately the case. Oh, they don't want to blaspheme after all, right? God created sex. But they see male sexuality as something to control, something to bind. It is a horribly destructive force that needs to be kept in chains lest it just, you know, uh, rule the roost or something like that. Complementarians are traumatized by their early battles with feminism in which they were called mean words like misogynist and bad things were said about them like, oh, you just hate women and want them to be uh, pregnant and barefoot in the kitchen or something. They took the attacks from feminists seriously rather than realizing that the feminist crowd was never going to be honest with them or good faith in their interactions. So they see everything as, well, men must be civilized by the holy vagina, you see. And by civilized, what they mean is for you to be a good little worker drone, a servant leader in your household who has no desires, no goals, nothing of personality to himself, you are the outcast, groveling before the goddess in order to maybe earn a crumb of coochie after having worked three shifts. You know, first shift, you're the one getting everything done in the morning. Second shift, you go to your actual job. Third shift, you take care of everything else in the household because that's what a good Christian man does, etc. and so forth. God help you if you're ever found lacking in anything else or else you're going to get a wake-up call from a pastor in these complementarian circles telling you you need to re-re-re-re-re-dedicate yourself to your goddess. I mean to Jesus who will tell you to uh, obey your wife's soul essence. Oh yeah, every man's battle, that's what they'll all say. Oh man, you gotta submit to your wife's soul essence. Which means whatever childish whim will come out of her head after you've treated her like a spoiled rotten child for X number of years. At its root, marital counseling from complementarians boils down to controlling men, especially men's sexuality, while excusing women's sins. They'll tell you, oh man, you gotta man up and marry that single mom with seven kids from eight baby daddies who 
uh, hates men or something because she wants you to just provide. And after all, those are previous mistakes that she had during her party years. And, you know, the blood of Christ just covers everything. And there's no such thing as real world consequences uh, anymore. Not for women anyway. And you're a bad person unless you do what we say. You don't have self-interest as a man. And besides, any expectation on the part of a husband for his wife to be sexually available is sinful, according to these guys. It's ugly out there. And this is what poses as biblical Christianity and biblical marriage. When, no, that's not even close to the case. They have this ambivalent and negative attitude toward male sexuality, namely because they don't want to be called bad names, and they don't want women leaving their churches. A lot of them recognize that in their churches, at least, the majority of regular attendees are women, and if they start talking in any way that empowers husbands, as the Bible would teach, well, then those women are going to get mad and leave, and thus they lose their tithe money, they lose their help for church functions, uh, they get mean names, they get insults and emails and stuff, and maybe even attacks in the media. So they're not willing to ever, ever talk about what the Bible says as it says it. And they're not going to consider the fact that God created men with male sexuality, that we want it, that we need it, that we're going to get it one way or another, and that's just how we are. They don't want to accept the nature of a man. So they try to shame a lot of husbands by saying that they are over-focusing on the flesh, taking a sudden turn towards the Gnostic conception of the flesh as a bad thing. Scripture does condemn the flesh in terms of sinful flesh, meaning original sin manifested in my flesh. But the Gnostics took it a step further, saying that, no, 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 it's the flesh itself, not sin dwelling in it. They denied that the true God created the material universe, so they see all functions of the human body as fundamentally bad or wicked. That's why a lot of Gnostics ended up more or less, well, starving themselves to death. Because, I mean, it's the body. It's got to go, bro. Complementarians suddenly become Gnostics a lot of the time when it comes to the flesh because they want men to stop being so sexual and stop wanting it. But, you know, they say they're Christians, so they can't say outright that sex is sin, even in the context of marriage. Oh, no, 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 no. So eventually, they must give you some sort of advice for the bedroom. And it boils down to, have it as much as she feels like. Well, if you have a wife with a high sex drive, I suppose that's fine. But what if she's not in the mood? Oh, well then don't do it. Don't do it. That's, uh, that's ugly pressuring her into some sort of marital rape or something. They love to pull out terms like marital rape. And okay, so what do I do? Nothing. Actually, no, you can do something, they'll say. You can be such a good and holy husband, such strong character, 
and so Christ-like that she naturally responds by being attracted to you. You see, women are kind of like spiritual compasses. They always point to spiritual north. They know if somebody's godly or not, they're not going to be attracted to somebody who's not godly. So you got to make sure to treat her really well, get her feeling good all the time, and so on and so forth, until we arrive at pagan goddess worship. Complementarians don't seem to believe that women are capable of sin. The only time a woman sins is if a man is at fault for having made her sin, you see. Typically, they're so pure that every woman apparently is uh, blessed with the immaculate conception and men keep screwing that up. So what they'll say is, you need to qualify to her in order to uh, unsnap that bra. Will the bra open for you? Glenn Stanton answers, well, you got to be a really special, powerful guy. Really Jesus-likes. Because what really gets her rocks off is Jesus, and she's the only one that can tell. Now, do you see what the problem is here? It flips the table from Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 teaches us that the husband represents Christ in the marriage, the wife represents the church. Now, the church wants to please Christ through good works, and Christ himself, of course, in love, gives and gives and gives to his bride, the church. In the complementarian understanding of it, the idea is a husband has to treat his wife like she is a goddess. And she's not a gracious goddess. Oh no, there's no justification by faith alone when you're married to a goddess, you see. It's justification by works. If you want blessing from the goddess, namely access to the goddess's genitals, then you'd better make sure that you are the most pious of worshippers. That really is how they formulate it. They'll never say it's goddess worship, but that's what it is. It gets it backwards entirely as well as adding a messed up soteriology into their flipped version of the iconography of marriage as taught by scripture so let's get this straight according to our dear friends over at focus on the family in the cbmw the idea is that a man shouldn't want sex because that's bad but when he can't help it because he's some disgusting pig, he needs to make sure that he's such a holy and wonderful Christian man that's just so dedicated that he has earned his sex through his holiness and his upright moral character. That doesn't work, and that's probably going to destroy your marriage if you think about your bedroom that way. Just saying because it denies that women are human beings with their own sex drives. Women want sex just as much as men do. It's just a rote fact. I don't care if you deny it. I don't care if you had a, a boomer dad that was like, No, no, you could set your calendar by the time she's in the mood, pal. No, they want it just as much as men do. It's just a fact. They want men to pursue them 
They want men to be the seducer. They would love it if men initiated in a positive way. Great. Now, maybe they're not, quote-unquote, in the mood the same way that men are all the time. They're not always on the way we are. But they want it. And they want to have a good time with it. Yeah, because unlike what these complementarian guys talk about, where sex is this kind of sacrifice that a woman makes, no, they probably enjoy it more than we guys do. Simple fact. So if you take the pagan goddess worship idea for your bedroom, that you have to conduct yourself morally in order to have sex, then you are not treating your wife as a human being. And if you pretend that you don't want it as a male, well, you're not treating yourself like a human being either. Complementarian marital ethics are effectively anti-human, just as much as they are anti-Bible. Eventually, though, they will grudgingly admit that something's got to happen in the bedroom. They'll just say that, right? And occasionally you get an advice that sounds like this. You know, women like romance. Do you actually uh, let her, uh, did you get her flowers? When was the last time you bought your wife some jewelry or took her out to a nice date night with a nice dinner? Oh, okay. So they're not the type of complimentarian to tell you that you need to worship your wife as a goddess and submit to her will. They're going to tell you to treat your wife like a hooker whose physical affections are purchased. Maybe not with a certain amount of money per amount of time that you spend in the bedroom with her, but oh boy, howdy, should you spoil that woman if you ever expect her to spread her legs, according to these romantic types. Who's the real fleshly individual here? Is it the guy that says, I am married, so I'm going to find a way to seduce my wife? Or is it the individual saying you should treat your wife as a hooker and quote-unquote romance her, which just means spend enough money, I guess, over and over and over again. That's, that's what you are. You're the John. She's the lady. Come on. If you take away being a good boy and spending enough money in order to get into the bedroom, what are you left with as a husband? Well, you're left with something natural, something that isn't morally wrong. Seducing your wife in an understanding way. This is where game comes in. The art of being attractive and encouraging a woman to see your value and your power for what it is. Being in shape is game. Right? A woman should look at you and go, that's a good-looking man there. Taking a shower, that's game. Dressing decently, that's game. Right? This isn't automatically some pickup artist thing here, although we can definitely get into that. If you are put together, you look good, you smell good, you got a nice smile and you brush your teeth, you've already gotten somewhere regarding seducing your spouse because you're not gross 
You shouldn't be gross if you expect to spend some time in the bedroom. Let the nasty stuff happen on the bed, right, fellas? But then, in addition to that, you don't want to be a pushover. Women are not attracted to unmanly men. They are not attracted to cowards. They are not attracted to overly emotionally sensitive men. And I know there are tons and tons of women who will say, actually, I want my man to be more emotionally vulnerable. But everybody knows there's a big difference between stated preference and revealed preference. Women don't want their men to be whiners, losers, weaklings, etc. They want a man. Okay, so if you've got yourself cleaned up and presentable, and if you got yourself acting and living in a masculine fashion, okay, you're already halfway there, pal. Then we can start talking about specific pickup artist techniques that work in marriage. Now, before I talk about any of that, question is going to be, should you go out and learn game? Maybe. We can talk about some of the individual techniques, but the thing about game is it requires something of a discerning mind before you accept or attempt any of it. To be frank, people didn't need game back when everybody got married and everybody understood how marriage works. In fact, you have in the early days of the Lutheran church, Martin Luther saying, hey, if she's frigid, that's a cause for divorce because she has effectively committed adultery by not giving it up, saying that she would prefer to sever the union of man and wife by not sleeping with you than actually have sex with her husband. Right Back then, people didn't need stuff like the quote-unquote art of seduction. It was something that came naturally to them. Men listened to the wisdom of their fathers. Women listened to the wisdom of their mothers. And everything was more or less okay. We had a society that understood that. If your marriage is at that level where you don't have any problems in the bedroom, both of you are having a great time, then I don't see where you're going to get any benefit from studying game. Sure, it could enhance your marriage, or it might harm it. But if you're in a situation where here you are in a sexless marriage, and you want it to be a sexful marriage, or fertile bed life, whatever, well, okay, maybe it would be good to look at these techniques Look at the things you can do after the first set of changes, right? Getting in shape, cleaning up, being presentable, attractive, having your stuff together, and making sure you are a masculine individual. Then if you still want to keep going further, then you can look at game techniques. But I must warn you, not all of them are good for Christian men to practice. You see, the pickup artist community created game as a means of picking up bar skanks with low self-esteem. Taking women who were totally messed up, who have uh, no idea of any actual worth they have, and sleeping with them. 
because they know that in that club or in that bar they are competing with every other man there to sleep with the hottest girl in the room. They want to get their rocks off by any means necessary. And when they do get into long-term relationships, they want that long-term relationship to be predicated on, well, personal power, right? A lot of these guys are weirdo control freaks who want every single little thing to go their way, and that requires breaking a woman down. Yet, yeah, don't be surprised that the worldly poon hounds out there are bad people. They're not Christians. They usually despise the church, and the church hasn't been doing them any favors with the complementarian movement. At the end of the day, though, all they want is sex and more sex and more and more and more and more, while kind of leaving a trail of broken hearts and women who are suddenly feminist on account of those broken hearts. Thank you, pickup artists. You did the world a great service by giving us more feminists. Anyway, I digress. You need to have a discerning heart. Now, there are guys that talk about married sex life and game in the context of marriage. There are plenty of resources for that. But even then, if you Google Christian married man seduction for wife, you're liable to get a lot of kooky, crazy, and sometimes probably some outright pornographic results from that. Maybe you'll find a blog that tells you one thing that worked for one guy and another thing that worked for another guy, and maybe they'll be debating the merits of X, Y, or Z technique, and so on and so forth. Even then, it requires some discernment, because there are four types of pickup artist techniques, let's say, or game techniques for Christian men to consider. There are those that are good for a Christian husband to do. It's just good for a marriage in general. There are those that are situationally good or bad, depending on how you use them. There, there are those that are morally neutral. And then there are those that Christian men should not touch with a 10, 12, 20 foot pole that you should just not do. A good example of a good technique would be amused mastery. It teaches you to be in control of your own situation. It teaches you to have a good sense of humor and not take everything so, so, so heavily. She says, honey, you'd made a wrong turn. We're not going to get to our destination. And you tell her, ah, no biggie. I just wanted to take the scenic route. I know exactly where we're going. That's amused mastery. Or another example would be, instead of asking her, Honey, I want to go out for dinner. What would you like for dinner? No, no, no. You don't have to ask. You just tell her, Hey, sweetheart, I know you like this place. This is where we're going to go out for dinner. You want to come along? And if she says, I don't know if I want that, you can go, Well, okay, I'm going there. I mean, you can have dinner with me if you want, or uh, maybe make yourself a sandwich at home. But this is where I'm going. Come on. That's amused mastery. Being in control of the situation. That is attractive to women because a masculine man should be in charge of his own situation as far as he is able. Another one would be agree and amplify or disagree and amplify. 
you see, as guys were starting to figure out game and everything, they made a lot of observations about female behavior, especially as it came to romantic topics. And they learned that women like to test men. They call these shit tests, where they challenge a man in some oblique way, usually with words. So a husband falls sick, says, I'm not going to go into the office today. I'm coughing up a storm. My sinuses are killing me. And if the wife is feeling fine, she might go, oh, you big baby. Come on, what are you doing? Now, in this point, you could try to defend yourself, I guess, or rationally explain just how bad it is. Or you could agree and amplify. She says, oh, you big baby, and you respond with, oh, so that means you're going to take care of me. Excellent. I'm going to be the biggest baby today. <sighs> Crack your knuckles, lean back. Say, all right, nap time. Can I have some warm milk in an hour? Or you could disagree and amplify. Or when she says, oh, you big baby, when you say you're taking the day off from work, you could say, oh, me? No, actually, I'm an old man today. I'm going to retire, too. Make it playful. Agree and amplify, disagree and amplify. Be playful about it. And you have kept, in that moment, you've kept her from chipping away at your status. You see, ever since Genesis 3, the fall in Eden, God says to Eve, your desire shall be for your husband or against your husband. The words for and against here are so similar as to be the same word, but he shall rule over you. Women will, on account of the fall, have something of an innate desire to chip that man down a bit. Just break him down a little bit, uh, reduce his stature before her and test him. And a strong man knows how to deal with that, knows how to laugh it off, how to agree and amplify, disagree and amplify, show amused mastery, showing confidence. Techniques like these will build that confidence to the point where you don't even need to consciously do them anymore. Now, there are moral if or circumstantial techniques in game that sometimes are good to use, other times are bad to use. And I know among the pickup artist community, it would be controversial for me to say it, but maintaining frame can be a good thing or a bad thing in the case of a Christian husband. What do I mean by that? Frame is where you say, this is my reality, you're just living in it. I set the terms of the discussion. I am not going to answer to you regarding where we are in this relationship. I'm not going to defend, excuse, explain, or rationalize. That's an important acronym. Defend, excuse, explain, rationalize, or dear. I'm not going to do that because I don't answer to you, dear wife. I am the husband, I am the head of the household. If you went to a bar and your wife didn't want you to go to a bar, but you did because your buddies invited you out for a drink and no big deal, you just had yourself a beer, you come home and she's like, where were you? At the bar. You know, I don't like it when you go to the bar, she might say, and you go, well, I do. I wanted to hang out with my friends, so that's what I did. Well, how could you do that? Like... I know the kind of friends that you have, and I don't like it when you do that. And you go, well, that's tough, because that's what I'm going to do. 
You do not have to qualify to her as though she is your moral master. In that circumstance, frame is good. Because the husband is the head of the household, he should be the unquestioned head of the household, king of his castle, and a wife is not going to be attracted to a man who's always bending the knee and trying to uh, qualify to what she wants in every single case. No, she'd find it deeply unattractive if you went home from the bar and you were like, oh, I'm sorry, honey, it just it felt like they needed me and, and they made me kind of do it. And I promise I just had a Shirley Temple. It was totally non-alcoholic. And I know that you don't like it. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to do it again. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's a great way for your wife to then get a signal that she should walk all over you. Uh, assuming, of course, that she's of lower moral character. I'm not trying to slander any guy's wife, but that is a real risk. Frame in a bad sense is when you sin and you rationalize it to being no sin. I have seen guys maintain frame, so to speak, and end up gaslighting their wives into thinking that their husband's infidelity was the wife's fault. Well, that's no good whatsoever. Because as much as you can maintain frame, you gotta remember, God maintains his frame and you were accountable to him if you sinned you gotta apologize if you sinned against that woman yep the right thing to do is to apologize like an adult rather than play god and say oh no 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 i did nothing wrong against you okay come on there is a sense where people get so obsessed with maintaining frame that it it gets ridiculous, and they give themselves God complexes over it. Then there are methods and techniques in-game that I would say are neutral, because they are purely practical. For instance, the nuclear option. <laughs> this one's great. You just say, hey, let's go have sex. Or, let's go to the bedroom. She might say, well, what do you want to do in the bedroom? You might say, adult stuff. Oh, what kind of adult stuff? Well, come on over, baby. Let's go to my room and let's see what happens. And that's it. Nuclear option. Just say, let's go have sex. Easy peasy. Or another one would be to just start kissing her. <laughs> just start kissing her. Grab her butt. Do whatever you do to signal, hey, we're going to go do the deed now. That's natural and normal for 99% of people and nobody really needs to be taught how to do that. The practical stuff. But part of seduction for men, seducing their wives, a lot of it's psychological. That's why I say the more uh, down-to-earth stuff is neutral. It's not bad if you do it. In fact, it's good if you and your wife end up going to the bedroom. Then there's the bad ones. There are evil things practiced by men to tear women down so that they can psychologically damage them enough to go have sex. Example, openly flirting with other women in her presence, and when she calls you on it, gaslight her by telling her that's not what you were doing. And just maintaining frame so that she's always questioning herself, now she's scared that you're going to commit adultery. She's afraid for your marriage, and she's eventually going to do something to guard your marriage, maybe by having sex with you. 
That's dread game. In a marriage, the husband represents Christ. The same Christ that tells his church, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now sure, he does warn the seven churches in Revelation about what happens if they don't clean up their act. But those are individual congregations, not the church as a whole, not to the individual Christian. It is always Christ saying, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. Jesus never tells us, I have a, a bunch of plates that I'm spinning, a bunch of girls in my chictionary that I'm actively pursuing, and I'm going to have different brides because this body of Christ thing, this bride of Christ thing, you know, I've got my options, guys. No, Jesus doesn't do that. Dread game in the context of a marriage is sinful. And even leaving the typological or iconological aspect of marriage out of the discussion, somebody who uses crass, harsh, dread game in their marriage is saying that they want to trade their wife's emotional well-being for sex. I want that woman scared. I want her feeling low and damaged and worthless in order to have sex with her more often. I want her desperate to keep me because now she thinks that I am a wandering piece of crap who at any moment could just ditch her for another woman. Ditch her, ditch the kids, ditch everything to go get my puss somewhere else. Does that sound like a Christian marriage? Does that sound like you, how you want to treat your wife? And of course, there's another one that's called the neg, where you use backhanded compliments to make a woman second guess her own worth and her own self-esteem. The idea here is women get compliments a whole lot more than men do. I mean, that's just true. They get compliments left and right and center. They're not going to pay attention to you if you open up with, oh, wow, you're so beautiful. They will pay attention to and hold on to something that critiques them. That's going to mean a lot more because they don't hear that as often. But you don't want to just go up and say, hey, fatty, why are you so fat? Stop being fat. A neg is a backhanded compliment where you deliver that criticism and get her gears turning, get her paying attention to you by saying, hmm, looks like you've lost a little bit of weight lately and I'm glad you started taking off the pounds. When you know that she's not overweight in the slightest, she's going to feel offended and you would uh, dance around that offense uh, to go further and get her attention more and more and more. The problem with the neg is it's not good-natured teasing, right? It's not teasing a woman and, ha and playing with her. It's not a slice of humble pie. It's not speaking honestly. It is specifically doing something to lower her self-esteem and make her qualify to you by tearing her down. I wouldn't do that. That seems like dangerous territory to me in a Christian marriage where we are called to edify and build each other up. Not just as husband and wife, but as Christians, we are supposed to do that. Game techniques that tear each other down 
in order for you to facilitate, you know, bump and uglies, that doesn't sound like the Christian thing to do. doesn't sound like something that uh, God is going to bless. But that doesn't mean that all forms of game and seducing your spouse are bad. There's this weird all or nothing thing. The uh, complementarians will say, oh no, it's all bad. It's just manipulating your wife to get her in bed. That's not necessarily a bad thing. If I give somebody a birthday present because I want to make them happy, was I doing something wicked to them by manipulating them, playing with their emotions, making them happy? No. And would any of these complimentarian goobers say it was manipulative and wicked for your wife to dress seductively for her husband? No. But it's only when men do it because, again, they have a really weird fear of male sexuality and they want to control and shame it while excusing any sort of female sin. It is not sinful to seduce your wife. It is not, quote-unquote, lusting after her in some sinful sense because you're one with her. And remember when Jesus says to look at a woman with lust in your heart for her is adultery, he uses the Greek word for coveting. You can't covet what you already have. If you already have your wife, go have fun, lust after her all you want because she's your wife, she is yours. Your marriage is the place for that. And if game techniques help you to do that without going into the more predatorial ones out there, like Dread Game, then, you know, let your flag fly, dude. Do what you gotta. I am not here to tell you how to run your sex life, but ideally, you wouldn't even need it because you and your wife are on the same page and wonderfully attracted to each other anyway. Now, there are going to be times when it gets difficult because you two are disagreeing and fighting over that. Over any number of things, really. We're going to talk about that one next week. What to do when there's fights and disagreements. That one will be fun. But that's for next week. Until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.